Leadership is leadership. Doesn't matter what role you're in, if you're running a company, if you're elected official. In this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, I visit with Jason Kander. We talk about his book, Outside the Wire, getting outside your comfort zone to learn the lessons of leadership. Check it out. like payroll and benefits are hard. That's why I switched to Gusto. And to help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. You sign up for their payroll service today, you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is Jason Kander. He is husband, father, former army captain who served in Afghanistan He's also Missouri's former Secretary of State and the president of an organization called Let America Vote. He is also a candidate for the mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, and we're going to talk about his book called Outside the Wire, 10 Lessons I've Learned in Everyday Courage. So, Jason, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So uh, I have a lot of authors, thousands of authors I've interviewed, and I don't think I've had one that has written a uh, sort of a political biography uh, yet on the show. So this is a first. But in reading your book, which I really loved, uh, there's so many lessons in there that are really leadership lessons in the truest sense. Um, and I think entrepreneurs in the truest sense, um, the successful ones anyway, are, are leaders at heart. So uh, I want to unpack the book really in that vein, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense to me. Thanks. Let me start with the top or the title, um, Outside the Wire. Um, in kind of common military jargon, that's sort of the idea of being beyond the safe base camp area. So how, how does that metaphor really kind of set the subtext for the book? Well, so for me, uh, the experience of going outside the wire in Afghanistan, going, like you said, off the safety of the base, uh, that that's an event in my life that... Um, a lot of times I kind of think about my life, I guess, is before and after that moment. And I think that's true for a lot of people um, who have experienced anything uh, like that, anything that can be you know, just scary to do, and, um, forces you to get literally outside your comfort zone. And, and at the same time, uh, the book uh, is mostly about, I mean, there are stories in the book, uh, as you saw, and lessons in the book from my time in the military and specifically from my time in Afghanistan. But mostly what it's about is my time going figuratively outside the wire uh, in politics, going out and taking, taking positions that may or may not have been unpopular, may or may not have been uh, what I was advised to say, but it's what I believed. And so really the book is just about the idea that if you want to create change, if you want to get anything done, um, you're never going to do it from within your comfort zone, either uh, literally or figuratively. There's And I don't know if you'll be able to do this. I've written a number of books, and sometimes I'll be interviewed, and I'll say, you know, you were telling that one story, and I'm like, gosh, I wrote that a while ago. <laughs> I don't know if I remember that. Well, but I, Well, I, I've only written one book, so don't worry. I'm gonna, I'm, And it wasn't that long ago, so I'm probably going to be able to get it. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm going to try to set it up, and then you, let, you tell the story, because one of the really um, great things about why the book works so well for me is you're a really good storyteller, and I, I'd love to have kind of people hear the story part. So there's one of the early lessons that, you uh, um, you basically said it. You know, you went out and kind of failed at this training thing, and you thought you were going to get really, you know, taken to task over it. But it went a different way when the uh, when you actually met with the sergeant. Um, and the lesson in that was that um, really that that here's how real tough guys act. 
And I think that there are a lot of leaders and companies that feel like they have to be the authoritarian, you know, dress everybody down, you know, use fear in some cases as a leadership tool. Um, and I wonder if you, hopefully I jog your memory enough to know that story I was tell- talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the lessons, uh, the chapter, the books organized into uh, lessons, which are just the chapter titles. And, and one of the lessons is, um, you know, per, uh, experience is, is good, but perspective is golden. And that's one of the early stories in that lesson. And uh, what happened was I, I was uh, pretty new uh, to the Army. I was an Army ROTC, and we were doing land navigation training. And we were doing nighttime land navigation training, which means uh, that I was out in the woods, uh, pitch dark, uh, in pretty heavy woods at, a, at an army base. And I had a compass and a protractor and a map. And I was supposed to find these very difficult to find uh, points, which are just like little sticks that stick up in the woods and have little numbers on them. And you're supposed to write them down in your card to prove that you could navigate to these, these points. Um, and it was pouring rain. And uh, it was pretty pretty quickly uh, evident that I wasn't doing well at this. It was my first time doing it at night. Um, my map disintegrated in the rain. It was just a bad scene. And it was a low morale moment, uh, so to speak. And what the other context to this is that um, that weekend out in the woods, we had with us um, uh, an instructor who was uh, like had only been with us this one time. Um, and he was this guy, Master Sergeant Matt Eversman. And while most people listening to this will have no idea who that is, a lot of people actually have seen him portrayed on the big screen uh, by Josh Hartnett in a movie called Black Hawk Down. The, the main character in that movie, uh, it's a, you know, based on a true story, and the main, the main character in that movie is, is Matt Eversman, who at the time was a very young sergeant. And now by the time that I met him, uh, you know, he's this uh, Master Sergeant uh, with a lot of combat experience. And this was, uh, this was pretty soon after nine 11, uh, that I had joined. So at that point, uh, very few people had deployed. So, uh, he was very unique. Uh, you know, now somebody with that level of experience would be a lot less unique, still commendable, but a lot less unique at that time. He was like, we were all like, Oh my God, that's Matt Eversman. Um, and so I'm scared to death because I'm, I'm going back to turn in my scorecard, which has nothing on it. I actually didn't know whether I'd see him. I was just expecting, okay, some sergeant's going to get up in my face and tell me uh, how awful it is that I got lost and how if I got lost in combat while I was commanding troops, everybody would die. So I just figured, okay, I'm about to be humiliated. That's fine. I'm soaking wet. I just want to change into dry underwear, whatever. So I'm in line. I get to the front and I realize it's Master Sergeant Matt Eversman who I'm about to turn my card into. And then I'm just feeling humiliated because I figure all he's about to know about cadet candor is that he sucks at land nav. Uh, and that seemed kind of you know mortifying. But so I get up to the uh, front of the line and he looks down at me and, uh, and he says, how'd you do? Uh, how'd you do cadet? And I said, not well, Sergeant. Uh, I got zero points. And I'm like bracing myself. And he says, well, you still got your weapon. And I had it over my shoulder. I said, yes, Sergeant. And he, and he slaps me on the back and he says, success get in here. It's freezing out there. And we got coffee in here. And, uh, and so I get in there and, and, uh, and some officer comes in, a Lieutenant comes in and, and is demanding to know why a bunch of cadets have been given uh, hot chocolate and coffee. And, and then master Sergeant Everman, Eversman pipes up and he, and he says, I did it, sir. He says, uh, you know, you don't have to train a soldier how to be miserable. They already know. Uh, and of course, given his level of experience, that the officer had nothing to say to Master Sergeant Eversman about that. And for me, the lesson was, you know, a guy like 
uh, a guy like Sergeant Eversman, like with what he had seen and done, he had no desire whatsoever, no need to feel that he had to prove himself to any of us. Um, and he had the perspective to understand that we all knew that if we didn't, you know, get any points to turn in, that we knew we screwed up and we were soaking wet and we were freezing. Like there was no learning point in being hard on us. Uh, and in fact, I think the learning point he decided to teach us was, uh, you know, you got to care about your people and you don't got to prove yourself because uh, that's what it is to be a real tough guy is to not have to show anybody. Yeah. And so you, you obviously learned and, and probably grew in your respect <laughs> far more than him, you know, getting in your face, as you said, would have ever done. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a true, again, going back to entrepreneurs, I think that is a true leadership lesson that, that part of it's reading the uh, the situation, but also uh, clearly uh, taking care of your people is a big part of what you have to do in a company. Um, so th there are a lot of lines where you have bolded them or put them in, in, in bigger text and they just really jump out inside the chapters. And so there's one that I think applies to so much of what we're experiencing today, I think. And it is your dignity, unlike your integrity, is negotiable. Um, and, and I think that's a lesson that I don't know if you have a story that I can <laughs> that I can bring forward with that. But I think that's a lesson that, um, boy, uh, integrity seems to be hard to find in a lot of uh, uh, corners today. Yeah. And what I was trying to get across there is that um – there's a lot of people who, when they run for office or as entrepreneurs, when they start going out to pitch or to, and I think this is particularly true, by the way, both of politicians and entrepreneurs who have been in an environment uh, where maybe it's a corporate environment where they were successful and they had a lot of uh, help around them and they didn't really find themselves in a position where they had to ask for things and had to, you know, put themselves out there um, that they frequently will, it feels like they are mistaking dignity and integrity for being the same thing when they're not. You should never compromise your integrity under any circumstances. Um, and I make that point several times in the book, but I also make the point that it ain't the same thing as dignity. So uh, when one of the stories I tell in the book is about uh, when uh, I was secretary of state of Missouri and I had to go into the office of, uh, of a state legislator who controlled the purse strings of our office. He, he chaired the committee on appropriations that decided whether we had the resources to do the important work that we were doing. And there were many things about that experience. And I'll let people read the book. There's some funny parts of that where it's pretty demeaning, uh, but nothing about it is compromising my integrity. It's just, you know, it's a little demeaning. And, uh, and so it compromises my dignity, but that should be completely worth it. I should be, you know, if it is a good cause, if it doesn't compromise my integrity at all, I should be more than willing to cash in any level of personal dignity to do the right thing for somebody else. Uh, it, it doesn't hurt me at all to do that. Um, and you know, another, uh, place where I, I talk about that a lot is, um, I I'm pretty open in the book, uh, about what it's like to have to go around the country and fundraise for a a competitive United States Senate campaign. Um, and just one of the things I talk about is, uh, dragging my little, um, rolling suitcase behind me everywhere I go all the time and how I always wanted to, uh, just pop it up on the table at the beginning of a meeting and say something like, wait until you see these vacuums, you know, <laughs> like, um, because I just felt like a traveling salesperson. Um, but I believed in the mission. Um, and, I never would have compromised my integrity to raise money, but look, it's not 
not always the most dignified process. You got to get over that. And that's, that's what I see like new candidates for office struggle with a lot. Like when they tell me things like, you know, I, I think I could do all of it. I'm really good at all this, but I'm not very, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I could do the fundraising. And I always tell them, why not? It's just, it's just staying on the phone. That's all it is. It's just being willing to, to be dogged. And, and they're like, well, you know, asking people for money. I'm like, well, look, you should never, ever as your integrity. You should never do anything uh, for a contribution, but that's how our system works right now until we change it. Like if you want to do the right thing for people, you're probably going to have to go out there and, and do the work that it takes to win, uh, to win your campaign. Wouldn't it be great if in your business, all you had to do was the stuff you love, the reason you started the business and not all that administrative stuff like payroll and benefits. That stuff's hard, especially when you're a small business. Now, I've been delegating my payroll for years to one of those big corporate companies. And I always felt like a little tiny fish, but now there is a much better way. I've switched over to Gusto and it is making payroll and benefits and HR easy for the modern small business. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. If you sign up today, you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com forward slash tape. I don't know that I've ever uh, gone to the back uh, cover of a book and read one of the blurbs, but um, I want to do this one because I think it's uh, <laughs> it works. After reading this book, I conclude that Jason Kander is too funny and too smart to be in politics. His motives are suspect, and he should be removed from public service immediately. Jimmy Kimmel. So where did that come from? Uh, it was very nice of him. Um, I, uh, you know, know, I know Jimmy through a mutual friend um, and, uh, you know, got to know him a little bit and, um, you know, asked him to read the book and he did. And uh, I guess it made him laugh, which made me feel really good about the book, to be honest. That was a, that was a big compliment coming from him. That's awesome. So I want to dive into another one of those things that jumped out at me. And, and again, I think a lot of business owners... <laughs> You know, they get so like, here's our idea. We're going this way. You know, who's with me? We'll never quit. Um, and, and at some point, somebody has to tell them, you know, you might be wrong about this idea. And, and I think that admitting that you might be wrong, um, and, and that doesn't mean giving up, you know, on your dream, but, you know, not always having to be right, I think is an amazing leadership lesson. Um, how did that? Hopefully, I again I jogged your memory again on a, on a, um, you know the point you were trying to make there, but I, that one really stood out to me. Yeah, I, you know, there's a few different stories in the book about that, and and it definitely is relevant. Before I get into the story, it, it's definitely relevant uh, to entrepreneurs. And and look, I have not been an entrepreneur, but uh, as you know, I'm I'm married to one. And Diana now, my wife, does a lot of uh, innovation uh, consultant work, and it's always interesting to either overhear or to uh, hear about her conversations with entrepreneurs who are just sure that they have a billion dollar idea. And when, and when someone, you know, questions it, not in a mean way, but just the way entrepreneurs need just sort of, Oh, have you thought about this? They, it, the ones who are going to be successful are the ones who don't take that questioning as, well, I just need to convince you. <laughs> uh, but instead are the ones who are like, Oh, let me think about that. Let me go back and see if that works. So, uh, you know, my favorite story from that section of the book is uh, I talk about how 
my mom picked my brothers and I up, uh, my brother and I up from, from baseball practice and we were in seventh grade and, and we're driving back home and, and she asked us, she says, out of nowhere, she says, what would you boys think about it if a girl played on your baseball team? And uh, we didn't quite understand at that point yet that the objective in our life was soon to be to spend more time, not less around girls. And so, so we very stupidly and immaturely uh, said, well, that doesn't make any sense. And, and she was like, why not? I think my brother said, well, it's tradition. Girls don't play baseball. And the lesson that my mom then taught us was she pulled the car over and she kind of smiled and she opened the, the car door and she said, I guess y'all better walk. And uh, we were very confused. And, and she said, well, I mean, it's tradition. Girls don't drive. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, she didn't make us walk home, but we got the point. And it also was just kind of a way of delivering to me the message that something that you were really sure of, uh, might not be right at all. And, and really my mom had, she was a huge supporter of ours. She came to every game and every sport, but up until that moment, she had never had an opinion on anything we did, uh, in sports. Cause I don't think she really cared. She was just there to support us. And that was the first time she did. And it really struck, struck out to us. And then I talk about how I carried that through life in a lot of different ways in the book, but you know, probably one of the more fun stories, there's a story I tell uh, fun now in retrospect, a story I tell about when I was in Afghanistan and I was working as an intelligence officer and I was sitting with the attorney general of Afghanistan. And I, I was in this meeting with uh, an FBI agent and, uh, and she and I were meeting with him, talking about these things. And he had this gentleman sitting next to him uh, who uh, was, you know, was from Eastern Afghanistan, um, spoke no English. The attorney general of Afghanistan spoke English very well. He had gone to school in, in America. And he says to us at one point, because he's talking about this gentleman, he says, don't worry, he doesn't speak a word of English. And he says uh, he is very corrupt and has been involved in several unsuccessful attempts uh, to kill me. Uh, like, assassination attempts and we we were a little weirded out by that but we just made sure not to make eye contact with the gentleman we all kind of laughed like oh this is funny and in fact this gentleman he was talking about even laughed to indicate like he understood a joke was told but clearly didn't seem to understand any english so then um my my uh partner i was with the fbi agent she goes uh outside to have a cigarette and this other gentleman decides he's going to leave and he leaves. And then she looks kind of shaken when she comes back. And when we get in the vehicle to leave, she tells me that he got out there, bummed a cigarette from her or something. And they stood there in silence for a while. And then in perfectly unaccented English, asks her where she's from and tells him about his farmland in Nebraska. Uh, and, uh, and so to me, that was a lesson I learned in, you know, always be very careful of what you assume is absolutely right. Because, uh, the attorney general of Afghanistan had clearly made some dangerous assumptions about his subordinate there. So I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to give you one more. And, and again, this just hits so home for me with what it is, you know, a lot of times as, as entrepreneurs, uh, certainly in politics, it's easy to get caught up in people telling you how great you are. Um, and, but you live your life with your family and friends and not your accomplishments. Yeah. That's actually, um, a, a quote from, uh, Royals third baseman uh, and Hall of Famer uh, George Brett from his Hall of Fame induction speech. Um, and uh, I'm a big George Brett fan. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, to me, uh, in that, I don't remember the exact story really that comes out of there. There's several. Um, I guess for me, the biggest thing I remember from, from that lesson that I was trying to get across is that um, 
you know, it's important, and everybody has said this, right? Everybody always says, like, it's important to be able to slow down and appreciate your family and those things. And I was getting that point across, but I also wanted to get across some things like the most memorable stuff for me has been the human moments where I've been able to make a difference in people's lives. I mean, a big part of why I decided to run for mayor of Kansas City is because every campaign that I've been a part of, every office that I've held, it feels like so often when a voter or a constituent brings me an issue, so often I've actually had to respond with, well, you know, that's more of a city issue because I've been, you know, at the state level. And I think that the best opportunity I have to make a, a meaningful difference in people's lives is, is, is if I'm fortunate enough to be elected mayor. So one of the stories I, I tell there is that, you know, when I was secretary of state, we were able to do a lot of things that were big and somewhat sweeping policy changes. But one of the things that sticks out most to me is driving home um, one day uh, from uh, from Jefferson City, uh, and I see this gentleman on the side of the road holding a sign, and it was pretty clear to me uh, that he was a veteran. He was my age, and sometimes we can just kind of spot each other. It's a military bearing thing. And he was homeless, and I got out, and I, I talked to him for a bit. And I won't tell the whole story, but um, at the end of it, what, what was clear was our office was able to help him, and he ended up getting on his feet. And a few months later, he came to the office to visit, and we talked for a while. And as we were walking out, you know, he asked me uh, not only why I had stopped to talk to him, but why I had stopped several times. I kind of kept at it um, to convince him to accept our help. And, and I told him, I said, look, it's just timing. You know, it, if, things had been, if things had gone a little differently for me in Afghanistan uh, and had gone more like how they went for you in Iraq, uh, he had, had been wounded and struggled with PTSD afterwards and traumatic uh, brain injury. I told him, you know, it would have been me standing on the side of the road and, and it would have been you driving by. And, uh, and he said, yeah, I and mean, I would have I stopped for you. I said, I know. And it's, that's the kind of stuff that really stuck out for me is, you know, we were able to make a difference in his life and that's only one person, but it was the relationship that I had the opportunity to develop with him. Uh, but, you know, that's one of the things I'll always remember from being secretary of state. You would tell us a little bit about let America vote. Sure. Thanks. I'm happy to. Um, so about a year and a half ago, uh, I started let America vote. Uh, our uh, mission is to create political consequences for voter suppression, uh, which really means that it's our job uh, when there are politicians in office who make it harder to vote, uh, we make it harder for them to get reelected. Uh, and we do that by running boots on the ground campaigns against them. Um, there are folks, unfortunately, uh, across the country who, and I'm not trying to be partisan, it's just a fact, this is a, a Republican Party strategy. It, it's, I am a Democrat and, it, and all that, but this is just a fact. Republicans have decided uh, at the top of the party, uh, Republican officials have decided that if they can make it harder for certain groups of people uh, to vote, groups of people who they think have a bad habit of not voting Republican very often, um, then they can make it a little easier for themselves to, to get reelected. And I just think that's un-American and wrong. And so rather than just battle them in court, which is still important, and there's a lot of good groups doing that, uh, we decided that we wanted to also take that argument beyond the court of law and into the court of public opinion. Um, and so we knock on doors and make phone calls uh, for pro-democracy candidates um, who are running against candidates that are making it harder to vote. And there is, is there a website for uh, folks who want to oh, support? Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, then go to letamericavote.org. So you kind of touched on this. You're running for mayor uh, in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, that, that'll be in the spring of 2019. Is that right? 
Did I get that That's right? That's right. Um, and uh, depending upon when you're listening to this is why I put that date in there. You were uh, a statewide office holder in Missouri. You ran for Senate, and quite frankly, had, there, had it been a little different time, you probably would be serving in the United States Senate. Uh, right now, President Obama called you the future of the Democratic Party. It didn't seem like um, this is where we were going to see your name on about next. Um, any Any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know— a lot of people had um, some very flattering theories and ideas as to what they thought I might do next. Um, and, you know, just as I was saying a moment ago, I, over the years, so many people have uh, come to me with issues that um, were really city issues that I really wanted to be able to dig in and solve because they seemed to be the stuff that was making the biggest difference in people's lives. And uh, that's what I'm most excited about is being able to uh, here in, in my hometown, you know, my family got to Kansas City in the 1880s. I'm, I'm a fifth generation Kansas Cityan. Uh, my wife and I are, are raising a sixth generation Kansas Cityan, my son True. Um, so the opportunity to try and make a difference for people in a real meaningful way in my hometown is, is really exciting to me. It's something I'm, I'm really passionate about and I'm really enjoying the campaign quite a lot. Uh, my vision for the city where, where I want us to go. I want to take all this progress that we have, uh, and it's been great. Uh, my friend Sly James, our current mayor, is term limited. Uh, he's done a tremendous, a tremendous job. And I just want to take as much of that progress as we can and leverage it, you know, continue that progress, but also leverage it to make a difference in the lives of people who haven't seen that progress in their lives yet. There's plenty of places in our town where that's the case. We'll know we got there when there's nobody in Kansas City who feels like in order to live the life they want and they deserve, uh, who feels like in order to do that, they've got to move out of town or across town to make it happen. Uh, and so I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that. Thanks for the chance to talk about it. Well, you bet. And we'll have links to all the stuff we talked about in the show notes. And just uh, one parting thing. A couple of years ago, I went to the Royals Fantasy Camp and uh, um, down in uh, Arizona uh, prior to the season, and George Brett was my coach. So uh, I, I went, uh, you know, this past January. Uh, he was not my coach, uh, but uh, it was a great experience. He was there. And, uh, and at one point, so I went down with, I went with my brother and, uh, and my brother's six, five and a really good athlete. And I'm, I was at one point, okay at baseball. And now I'm, I'm, I'm less, I'm less good. It turns out a lot of these skills are pretty perishable. And, uh, anyway, so, uh, we played Brett's team and, uh, and, <laughs> and so I come up and I like hit it straight back to the pitcher, you know, and I'm coming back from first base and, and George Brett's like, uh, good, it was a good swing, though, Jason. And I'm like, no, it really wasn't. He's like, no, no, it wasn't. And, uh, and you know, he's being honest, but trying to be charitable. And then, like, my brother comes up, and he misses a home run by, like, a foot. And and I'm shooting video on my phone and immortalized what we will always have. You know, we idolized George Brett growing up. And we will always have this video of, of Mel just stroking this ball. And you can hear in the background, uh, you know, George Brett go, oh, nice hit, Mel, and clearly really means it. Um, so he's got that over me now. Well, Jason, thanks for joining. We probably better let people go, and uh, oh, hopefully we will uh, catch up with you and uh, have a beer in KC. All right. Thanks so much. <laughs>